So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1464, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Friday, January 20th, 2023. I almost said 2022. It never gets easy. I had a great week. I interviewed an incredibly talented, inspiring woman named Zarna Garg. You can listen to the episode on Monday. I just want to tease it because this is probably one of the best interviews to date. She is a woman who in her mid-mom life, in her 40s, uh, decided to start a comedy career. You know, why not? Why not? She was a trained lawyer, practicing lawyer, then became a stay-at-home mom. And now she is an in-demand comic. She is performing pretty much every night in New York City. She's touring. She's got a TV show in the works. She has maybe a movie in the works. She has a giant following online. That's how I found her. I just stumbled upon her on Instagram. She's an Indian woman who talks a lot about her culture and the differences, the culture clash between being an Indian woman, living in New York, raising kids in New York, three kids, and all the hilarity that ensues. And let me tell you, this interview was way better than I could have ever imagined. You know, going in, I thought we're going to learn about, you know, obviously Zarna's journey up till now, but the insights that she had, the wisdom that she shared on all things from career pursuits to motherhood, money, you need to listen to this episode. I'm going to be promoting the heck out of it next week. And I look forward to sharing it with you. Okay. And that, and that was a highlight of my week. I have to say it was probably the coolest thing I did all week. In case you missed this week's episodes, I would encourage you to go back and check them out because on Monday, we talked about managing financial anxiety this year. And we had Nicole Stanley on, who better? She's a money coach. She's the founder of Arise Financial Coaching. She was previously on So Money last spring when we were thinking, okay, we're heading towards a recession. We still don't know really what's going on. And that's part of it, right? The uncertainty is fueling a lot of our stress, our fears, our anxiety. And so she came on, this is her expertise. This is her corner of the world where she talks about how to, you know, work through all of that and really set an intentional plan that you can actually manage and accomplish this year. On Wednesday, we spoke with Jane Biondi Munna, who is the youngest daughter of a man who was a media mogul. You never heard of him, but she is the daughter of Frank Biondi, who was the former CEO of HBO, Universal Studios, and Viacom, right? Who gets to get those jobs these days? Who's like that one person who gets a job hop like that? Well, Jane co-wrote her father's memoir. Uh, He passed away before the pandemic and then she finished it during the pandemic. And the book is called Let's Be Frank. And it's all of Frank's insights as to like how to be a leader, how to be a media mogul. He was known, I mean, everyone she interviewed um, remembers Frank as someone who was not just a fantastic leader and deal maker, but kind and had values and practiced those values and had so much integrity. We know these things are important, in all realms of life, especially business, it's important to practice this and embody this, but it's so rare that 
a CEO gets recognized for this stuff. Who, who makes the news, right? The nasty CEOs who take over a company and then fire almost everybody and then require you to bring your own toilet paper to work and demand that you sleep in the office. So I thought, let's talk to Jane and remember her father for the impact he made and the legacy that he left. It's a beautiful book. And we're actually giving one away. We're actually giving away a copy. I'll be announcing that later today on Instagram. Let's head over to the iTunes review section and pick our reviewer of the week. This person gets a free 15 minute money session. This week, we're going to say thank you to Basecamp, Basecamp Ab, who left a review earlier this week saying Farnoosh is a revelation. Oh my gosh. This podcast makes an excellent addition to your playlist as Farnoosh and her guests go beyond merely discussing personal finance and focus on how to build the life you want. What I love most is that she gives space to voices that we don't always get to hear in the financial world, women, BIPOC writers and experts, and immigrants and first-generation Americans, all of whom have a unique perspective to offer us all. I look forward to every episode. Thank you so much, Basecamp Ab. I really appreciate that you've decide to stick with the show that you really appreciate, you know, the content it's, it's helpful to you. And I want to give back. I want to have a 15 minute call with you. Talk about whatever you want. You can email me farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. You can DM me on Instagram. Let me know you left this review and I'll reply with a link where you can pick a time for us to connect. I'm still rounding up your opinions on whether or not to start some sort of community, you know, beyond the podcast, a monthly subscription, something or other where we hang out once a month, twice a month, we get real, we talk live. I'm still figuring out all of that. But in the meantime, collecting your feedback, if this is something that you think would be valuable to you. And more than that, you know, what would you want out of a community that is rooted in this podcast and the ideas and the insights from this podcast. And it would be hosted by me, obviously. So what do you want out of me? Let me know all those ways that I talked about, uh, the email, the Instagram, you can reach out and I'm there constantly. So let me know what you think. I'm very likely going to read it. I'll tell you some something exciting about the book. Uh, we picked the cover. I think I may have mentioned that already, but we did land on a cover for A Healthy State of Panic. I haven't shared it yet because we're not super, super sure about, you know, the subtitle and all of that, but I think you'll like it. I think my goal with this book is to make it very accessible, friendly, fun. You know, when you talk about things like fear and panic, that can be scary. You know, talking about fear is scary. Facing your fears is scary. So I wanted to juxtapose that and make this cover really pop, especially because so many books in this category of self-growth and development tend to be white and red and black and blue or yellow. And, and I was at Barnes and Nobles this past weekend going, how am I ever going to compete? But I'm going to make an effort. I'm going to make the best effort. And I will continue to share the behind the scenes with you because I know that your support will ultimately determine whether this book is successful or not. You know, and so to the extent that I can share it with you and keep you informed and 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 give you some of these insights and the behind the scenes, I will if it means that you will feel more of a connection to this book and want to read it because that is the point, right? We write books so that they will be read and shared and beloved. I haven't written one in 10 years. Can you imagine? The world has changed a little bit since I last wrote a book. Funny enough, the last book I wrote was about women breadwinners and not much has changed on that front. <laughs> the book is still relevant. I guess that's a 
okay thing. I don't know. I don't know. I was, I was like forecasting that by now the book would be completely irrelevant and the problem would be obsolete, but nevertheless, uh, it has uh, dated well, that book. Where were we? Let's just go to the mailbag. Okay. Let's talk about what's on your money mind. And one listener has her eye on the real estate market. You know, I love real estate questions. So I'm going to start with this one. And it is from Carly, who emails me and she says, Hey, Farnoosh, through your podcast, I was able to pay off debt using the snowball method and by paying myself first. All right. High five, Carly. I knew you could do it. And so she goes on and she says, I bought a townhouse three years ago. I got a special mortgage loan because I'm self-employed. I showed one year business tax statements and put 10% down. Now my place has about a hundred thousand in equity. I want to buy a second home and rent out my current home. I believe I can get an FHA loan or similar since the second home will be my primary. My question is, should I take out some of the home equity in my current home, say about 20,000 and use that plus a little bit from my savings to use for a down payment? Or should I leave the equity as is and continue saving until I have about 10% or more to put down? Right now for my savings, it's about a six month emergency fund. It's going to take me probably another year to save up a full 10% to put down. I know the market is still crazy. Interest rates are high, but I'm always on the lookout for deals. I'm in Nashville, a booming city with a lot of homes on the market that seem to have been half flipped before the sellers gave up. Thank you for any insight. Okay, Carly, congratulations, first of all, on all your financial accomplishments. No small feat to be able to get out of debt, save, six months emergency, you own a home, rock on. I wouldn't make a decision yet about the home equity. I mean, like you can apply for a HELOC right now. And, and I am actually doing that myself. You know what? Why not? Unless I have a lot of equity in this home that I bought right before the pandemic or right at the start of the pandemic. So clearly like, you know, luck, you know, just, it just appreciated because of where the market went. So we're going to take out a little bit just to have as almost like a, in case of emergency break open glass, I think we're going to get like a six and a half percent rate. And if anyone is interested in having just above and beyond emergency and you have equity in your home, a HELOC can't hurt. Of course, the rates have gone up since two years ago, but it's only about six, 7% if you've got good credit, which is a lot less than a credit card, a lot less than a personal loan. So I like the HELOC option for anybody who just wants that extra, extra security break open glass. For you, Carly, who is in the market for a home, a second home, so smart, you're up leveling your finances. I love it. Going to be an investor. I would maybe take out the HELOC, keep it, but I would approach the market with the mindset that using that HELOC is going to be a last ditch effort that I'm going to try. As you say, there are many homes that are kind of these fixer uppers. They're half flipped. So maybe they have an unfinished bathroom or what have you. And and the market is not going to be as strong as last year. It just isn't because of where interest rates are. The demand is not going to be there as much as it has been in the past. And so as somebody who's got all her financial ducks in a row, who knows what she wants, you're going to be a serious contender in this market. And you should ask her what you want. If there's no one else competing against you, you know, negotiate. Um, to the extent that you can use your own liquid savings to pay for the down payment and any other costs that might come up uh, as you prepare to close, that's priority, right? That's plan A. But if you see something that is just checks off all the boxes for you, then, you know, you're not taking out all the equity, right? You're just taking out a portion. And that to me feels safe. You know, 20,000, if your home value drops, it's not going to drop by so much where you're going to be underwater suddenly. I really doubt it because again, Nashville is a pretty 
trending area and not just a short-term trend. I think it's going to be a long-term trend in Nashville. A lot of job opportunities there. So long answer short, I think you can take out a HELOC, have that be plan B. Plan A is to use what you've got and use your buying power right now to negotiate in this market, think creatively so that you don't have to use the HELOC. If you don't have to, you shouldn't, you know, it's like there if you need it, but let's try to see what we can do without it. Keep looking, keep researching. But I, I don't feel like this is a huge risk, you know, on the, on the scale of risks, taking out a small amount of your home equity and investing that into another home, obviously committing to paying that off sooner than later, right? As long as you got a plan to pay that off, I don't see a problem. I don't see a problem with leveraging debt, you know, and I know this is not something that all the financial experts want to talk about or like talking about. If, if you're a, you know, Dave Ramsey disciple, if you're a Dave Ramsey follower, this is not good in his book. In my book, I think it's fine. I think it's strategic. I think you have to know yourself. You have to be aware of the risks. But this is to me, I mean, because I've been doing this now for 20 years, I've been in the game as a financial writer, expert, but also as a player in this game for 20 years, I don't think this is a huge risk. Consult with other experts. Thank you for your question and good luck. Happy house hunting. Next up is Matt, who sent me a message on Instagram. Matt is 25 and he wants to know whether he should pay off his student loans or invest more uh, than he's doing already in a Roth IRA. So here's more specifics. He goes, hey, Farnoosh, I'm trying to find a money allocation strategy that is good for me. I wanted your advice. I have a classic nine to five job. I make 86,000 a year. I contribute 8% to my company's Roth 401k and they give me a 4% match. So that's 12% total. Very good. Because, you know, we often say 10% in your 20s is an excellent place to start when it comes to retirement. He's also maxing out a Roth IRA separate from that. He's been doing this for the past two years. And so I think the contribution limit on a Roth IRA this year is $6,500. If you're under the age of 50, $7,500 if you're age 50 or older. But here's the rub. He has federal and private loans and he checked on his private loan interest rate. It's jumped from around four and a half percent to seven and a quarter percent. Oof. Exclamation point, says Matt. Uh, he's got about $16,000 in the private loans, another $25,000 in the federal, but they're on pause because of forbearance. So he's not making payments. Um, you wanted to know if he should start to prioritize those private loans because now they're kind of veering into high interest debt territory. He says, would it make sense to switch contributing to my Roth IRA to pay down that seven and a quarter percent student loan? He says, I follow a lot of financial podcasters and influencers, and they all mention how important it is to contribute to a Roth IRA at a young age. Do you think there's a right or wrong answer here? Any advice would be appreciated. All right. So Matt, yeah, it's important to invest in a Roth IRA, especially when you're young. I don't, I don't disagree with other financial podcasters. It's advice that I give, but you also have to put it in the context of someone's personal life and their needs. Now your private student loans are probably going to get even more expensive this year. Interest rates are not coming down this year. It, the Fed's got more rate hikes on the horizon. So you could see that going to 8% maybe. And, and I think that you're because you're already paying into that 401k at work, that Roth 401k at work, and you're getting that match, which is so great, that's 12%. I think you're doing really well with investing. I think it is time now to pay more attention to that 
like medium interest debt. I mean, seven and a quarter percent isn't double digit territory yet. And that at that point I'd say, okay, yeah, that's like, that's ugly. Seven and a quarter percent and growing though, right? Those private student loans. So yes, I think making an extra principal payment on those private student loans wouldn't be a bad idea. And, you know, because you're not also paying off those federal loans, take advantage of this time because when those kick in, you're going to have more debt to deal with. So dealing with this debt right now. And so we said, you know, 2023, you can contribute $6,500 to a Roth. If you took the next two years of, you know, $13,000 to pay off that debt, you know, you'd be very close and then maybe throw in your tax refund, which on average is about $3,000 and you've got your $16,000 there. If I were you, and if I went back into it, if I went in a time capsule and I went back in time to 25, I would get rid of that debt because you're still doing a lot of investing too. If you hadn't done any investing, I'd say, well, well, you know, get a little start on that. Take advantage of that corporate match at the least. You're doing that. So I think it's time to branch out. I think it's time to take a closer look at those private loans, which I think, again, are only going to get more expensive in this this calendar year. So the other thing I also want to say is that and I don't have any idea of where the stock market is going and anyone who says they know is lying. Um, but just looking at the fundamentals of the economy and knowing that last year was a very volatile year and not a great year for the broad market and stocks, especially tech sector, is it going to bounce back this year? I don't know. Uh, is the return going to be more than seven and a quarter percent? Do we think? Again, not trying to be a predictor of stock movements. I never said I was, but it's something to think about because if we want to do better, right, this year, um, is, is the smart money going to go into the stock market or is it going to go to pay off debt that's only going to get more expensive in this rising rate environment? Putting that out there, whatever you think might be the way to go. If you think that stocks are not going to do very well this year, or they're not going to do better than seven and a quarter percent, which is what your interest on your student loans currently are, maybe you put the money towards the student loans because that's where you're going to get the most return. If you've got an instinct about this, it's just one extra thing to think about. That's not the only, it's not the most important thing to think about. I think for me, the decision is clear. I would put money towards the debt because I'm already investing for retirement and I'm doing a really good job with it. You're doing a great job. Thanks for listening to the show, Matt. And I'm so glad to know you're in the audience. All right. Another question here about taxes, needing help. Our friend, our friend Jess on Instagram wants to know how to find a really good accountant. She is, has been using TurboTax, but now would like an adultier way to do her taxes, um, wants an actual person to speak with. And so my advice around this is if you feel like it's time to work with someone, a human being to help you with your taxes, you're probably right. Your instincts are telling you the right thing. Taxes are not to be messed with. You need a professional if you've got a business, if you have many many multiple streams of income and you need to make sure that you're deducting the right things, you're getting the right credits. And, you know, not to say that taxes are above and beyond us intellectually. I mean, for me, they are, but it's just like they take a lot of time and there are a lot of nuances. And just imagine like accountants are doing this day in and day out. They're the experts and you don't have to spend an arm and a leg to work with an accountant. You can actually um, work with someone through probably the software that you're working with. A lot of software now has the add-on benefit of working with someone, a real person, at least to ask questions, make sure you're doing everything right. It's not going to cost a lot of money. It might just be like an extra premium add-on. So you're paying like $39 for the software and maybe this is like, you know, another $39 
$30 or $40 to have access to a human being to answer your questions. If you want someone who is dedicated to doing your taxes, then you can go through the National Society of Accountants and the American Institute of CPAs. It costs anywhere from $25 to $50 an hour to enlist the help of an accountant for just bookkeeping. Then if you want someone to do tax prep, those fees can be anywhere from $150 to $400 an hour. Again, depends on the complexity of your situation. But one piece of advice that I would give is to be really organized because you can minimize costs a lot by coming prepared to those meetings, making sure you've got all of your, you know, folders with your previous tax statements and returns, all of your deductions listed out, all of your expenses, your, you know, if you have a ledger, if you have uh, some sort of profit and loss statement, a balance sheet, if I'm talking now, if like if you are a business owner, but making sure that you have all the needed and necessary tax paperwork to do those taxes, your W-2s, all of that, so that your accountant's not shooting you like an email every three hours, like, hey, what about this? What about that? That's their time, which means that's your money. I would also ask for friend and colleague referrals. You know, if you have a friend or a relative who really likes their accountant, um, then maybe you could start there. But really important that you work with an accountant that knows your profile. Okay, so there are some accountants that work exclusively or mostly with business owners versus those who are W-2 or versus those who have a lot of investments like property and all those other things that would make their taxes a little bit more complex. So when you interview somebody, just make sure you state your situation and make sure that you ask what kind of experience you have helping someone like me? What would be your advice? You know, and and get the get as much as you can on that phone call, uh, just to get a sense of their expertise and how they might be able to be strategic. And also ask, look, if there's a mistake on my taxes that gets made, and you know, could have been easy oversight, whatever. Like, you're going to fix it, right? And you're not going to charge me, right? And that's important because I had a, an accountant that I fired because. Um, well, there were a lot of problems with this guy, uh, but, you know, and I got a lot of red flags. You can read all about him in my upcoming book, but he, I fired him because um, the last straw was when I got married and up until the wedding, I kept telling him that year, like I'm getting married. So we're going to have to make sure that we file, you know, married on my taxes. I mean, it was like in emails I told him and I told his assistant. And, and then of course he files my taxes and he says that I am still single. It's not a little thing, you know? So I I said to him, uh, you know, you got this wrong. Well, I can fix it, but I'll have to charge you. And I said, are you nuts? Okay, dude, this is your mistake. And you have to fix this and you are not going to charge me. And then not only are you not going to charge me, you're not going to see me again after you do this. And we did not end pleasantly. But you know what? He ended up going to jail. So... Again, you can read all about it in my book, A Healthy State of Panic. You know, in that case, I was panicked working with him and I fired him and that was the right move. Where were we? Oh, yes. Finding an accountant, the National Society of Accountants and the American Institute of CPAs. How I ever got connected to that CPA, it was through a friend referral. And I kept telling this friend, like, how do you work with this guy? Because he's he's just volatile. He has a volatile personality. And oh, but he's really good at doing taxes. I said, are we sure about that, too? And when I fired him, you know, years later, he went to jail uh, for, um, 
you know, some bad behaving in his accounting. My, my taxes at the time were very simple and he was overcomplicating things. He just loved to find all these like loopholes and things like that. Never, I never benefited from any of that stuff, but I think it caught up with him. He, at the end of the day, uh, did some naughty things on some people's tax returns and paid the price. You got a lot more out of that answer than you were expecting, weren't you? Jess. Hey, it's Jess21 on Instagram. I see you. Thank you for following. Thank you for listening to the show and good luck this tax season. And last but not least, a listener of the show writes in wanting to know how to help or not help her 25-year-old daughter financially. So here's a little bit more about her situation and her daughter's situation. By the way, this is from Julie. Julie says, my daughter is a speech language pathologist in a school district in a city with a high cost of living. She has no student debt or car debt. She makes 50,000 a year. Some of her salary is in a 401k. She has about $500 in savings and she saves $50 a month. She also babysits weekly to supplement her income. In college, she got herself into some credit card debt, uh, which was around $1,500. Her dad and I helped her pay it down. And when she was home over Christmas, she mentioned that she now has $4,000 in credit card debt. Inflation has hit her hard, plus she has unexpected expenses of a $500 insurance deductible for a fender bender, car rental while her car is being repaired, and new tires. All of this went on her credit card. I am 56, I'm debt-free, I have no mortgage, and I could help her pay off this credit card, but should I? Should I offer to pay it on the condition that she pay me, say, $100 a month till it's paid off? Should I add a one-time interest of 5% onto her total, or should I not offer to do anything? She hasn't even asked, but she is very stressed about her finances and paying off this debt. How much do I want to watch my kids struggle and suffer when I am financially capable of helping her? Is it enabling her or spoiling her if I offer to help? How could I make this a teachable moment, but also an, an opportunity to help her succeed? Julie, you're a great mom and I can relate to this. I think if this was the first time that she was getting into a little bit of a financial bind and you wanted to help her, that's fine. I think the first time is always okay. As long as it's you know manageable and it's not crazy and it's like, you know, it wasn't like she went out and partied and went on some sort of like shopping bender. She you know, got into a fender bender. And you know what? I got into two of them last year because writing a book while trying to hold down a family and a business, uh, you get distracted on the road and you hit things. But all this to say, like, I get it. Life happens and you want to help her because you can and you love her and you hate seeing who wants to see their child struggle. But I think that if you want to help her, you want to structure it. You want to structure it. You want her to know that this is not a handout. I do like the idea of maybe having her pay you back. I used to host a show called Bank of Mom and Dad. You may have missed it. It was a uh, Oh, gosh, I want to say 14 years ago on a channel that no longer exists called SoapNet. And I, in 10 episodes, went into households across the country helping all the time these young women who were smart, who were employable, who had ambitions and goals, but for some reason or another kept falling into a financial trap, creating a financial trap for themselves, credit card debt, overspending, emotional spending. Their parents helped them out in the beginning. And then it just kind of spiraled because what happens? The children, the adult children, Come to expect that if I f screw up, well, my parents will help me. Do you know what the best financial advice my mom ever gave me? Here's what it was. In college, 
she called me up and we were talking because, you know, that's what moms do. They call you in college. And she said, you'll never believe your cousin is in $40,000 worth of credit card debt. This is my older cousin. And you'll never believe my sister, your aunt is going to pay that off for him. She goes, I'm going to tell you right. I'm going to tell you something right now, Farnoosh. If you ever tell me you're in credit card debt, I'm not helping you out. I'm not helping you out. We will help you with things that we feel are investments in you, like your education, but we are not paying off frivolous credit card debt. There is something to be said here that your daughter's debt is not frivolous. You know, she's not like, I don't think, right? It sounds like it's largely due to this car accident. So maybe it's not that you ditch her and say, oh, you're off on your own here. You're not going to be mom. You're not going to miss, you're not going to be my mom. <laughs> you're going to say, I'm going to help you out, but there are going to be some conditions. And you might also caveat and say like in the future, if you happen to get into more credit card debt, I won't be here to help you. Kids need to know that there is a cutoff. Uh, they, otherwise, they're not going to always be incentivized to make the better decisions when they're at a crossroad. It's like, do I spend the money on the thing that I don't really need or do I stay the course and save and do the responsible thing? If they think, oh, well, mom might help me out, they may keep making those bad decisions. And at that point, yeah, you are enabling them if that's the impression that you're giving them. I think if you want to help her, that's fine, but you have to create a structure. You have to have a conversation with her, right? That this is, that you are helping her so that she can get a clean slate and that this will be the last of it. I remember seeing when kids would boomerang back to their parents' homes in the recession and it wasn't their fault, right? There wasn't a good job market. They didn't have, they got laid off or what have you. So kids living with their families again, adults in their twenties and thirties living with their parents again. And parents would email me and say, do we like charge them rent? Do we create some sort of financial structure so that they're not just like, they're never going to be incentivized to leave. If the rent's free and the food's free and the utilities are free, even if they get a job, they're going to keep living here. And frankly, I was looking forward to empty nesting, moving on with my life. And now our kids are back and it's great until it's not. I don't have older kids, but I've been that kid who would have liked the bank of mom and dad to be around for longer than they were. But my parents did cut me off at one point, you know, and that was pretty much after I got my first job and I was living on my own. Um, and that was good for me. It really was. It didn't, to me, to me, it didn't signal like they didn't love me. They were very much still involved in my life. They guided me. They gifted me money from time to time for birthdays and things like that. But it was never to, with the intention that we're going to bail you out someday. No, you got to get this on your own because you can. Your daughter is smart. She's capable. She's educated. She can do this. I think having that open dialogue with her is going to be the best gift. You can help her out if you want, but create some structure. I don't think that's an unmotherly thing to do. I think it's good parenting. And that is our show, everybody. I'll see you back here on Monday. And if you're around a television or if you're following Kelly and Ryan on social, check me out. I'll be there on Monday talking about how to save for retirement without pulling your hair out. You know, it's hard. We got to save, what, 10 times our salaries by retirement, according to some calculators. How do we get there? I've got some tips that everyone can apply. They're easy. I call them lazy, actually. Lazy ways to save for retirement. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your weekend is so money. Money.